The other issue of the time about Christianity going, spreading just out of Palestine, it comes to the heart of this passage today. If Jesus had not ascended to heaven and stayed with the disciples on earth, it is possible and probable that Christianity would have just simply been a first century Palestinian sect. But instead, Jesus leaves Palestine and ascends to heaven and instead leaves his presence who we call the Holy Spirit. And we wonder what the role of the Holy Spirit is as we shall see this morning. Uh, Before I get right into the passage, there's one more thing we need to know about Luke. He was not a detached observer. He was not a historian writing, if you like, a totally detached uh, history of the Christian church. And the secret uh, to discover that fact is found in, in chapter 16. Because you find out in chapter 16 that Paul, it's a story of Paul's um, call from Luke. Yes, chapter 16, verse 6. And Paul calls the believers to come and help him in Macedonia. And Luke records it. He says, they went through the region of Figra and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16, verse 6. Now, verse 7, and when they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, all these towns and villages, right, and cities. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, we, this is the first point in Luke, that Luke goes into first person. We sought to go into Macedonia. Was it Luke who who Paul saw in the vision? Who knows? But Bible scholars think that this this is an indication that Luke was no detached observer. So to, to our passage this morning, to, 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 to chapter 6. So the picture is that they've been, a, they've been a, 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 it's 40 days after the resurrection. Um, by the way, the whole Christian church globally this week has been, ascent, uh, has been remembering the ascension. And I'm thankful that Pastor Curtis has, is focusing on the book, book at this moment. It seems right, the right time to do it, sort of after the Easter story. 40 days later, you have the story of the ascension. And so they came together they, and they asked Jesus. They'd gone through incredible uh, roller coaster ride. In one sense, you wondered if they would know whether they were coming or going. Jesus selects his disciples. They spend three years with him. Uh, the, the, their maturity over those three years as followers of Christ uh, sometimes was high, sometimes was low. The, uh, over the three years of being with Jesus, there was political infighting. They wanted to. They, they believed Jesus was going to set up his earthly kingdom, and James and John wanted to be prime minister and the chancellor next checker next to Jesus. Peter some days was full of it. I'll follow you all the time, Lord. Other days he was, well, I'm going to hide in the corner. Now they see the resurrected Jesus. Something dramatic. Something had changed significantly. And they see Jesus in a bodily form at this point, And they wonder what he's going to do. And so they ask him in verse 6 of chapter 1, when they'd come together, they said, Lord... Still got that earthly picture of power. Lord, when will be 
the time when you, res- when you restore the kingdom of Israel. And immediately he goes to say to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let's, let's hold it there. Uh, for whatever reason, they were still on this power bender. They still believed that now Jesus resurrected again. This is the most miraculous thing that ever happened in the history of the world and the universe, uh, at least from our perspective. And they must have had quite a fair perspective of this miracle, the significance of this miracle. And they still wanted Jesus to take over this, this empire. Surely he's got all the authority he needs now. Come on, Jesus, you can do it. When are you going to fix it? When are you going to... To, 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 to restore the kingdom of Israel. Again, still they did not understand the principles of his kingdom. He says, it's not for you to know the times. The reality is, if he'd have shared with them the time when, when uh, the kingdom would be fully restored, they wouldn't have even comprehended it for one minute. We have 2,000 years of hindsight he couldn't tell them because they wouldn't be able to cope with it or deal with it. And so he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And how many times, how many times uh, do we have the same experience as the apostles say, how long, O oh Lord? There was a disaster three weeks ago. There was a disaster last week. There was another disaster this week. How long, O oh Lord, can you let this go on? How long can you, can you bring to my attention the, the cries of suffering humanity, whether it's emotional or physical? How long can you, can, can you just let it go on? Are you really saying to me that you are sat in the, in, in the splendor of heaven and whether it's a migrant or whether it's the victim of a shooting or whether it's someone who's been diagnosed with a, with a cancer tumour, you're just going to let it go on and on and on and not intervene? question, God, what are you up to? And God says, or Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he changes the tack as he gives the sort of mild rebuke, you're not to know the times. Immediately changes tack and says, you will receive power. Power. Now these guys were very interested in power, big time. Yeah, we want the power. We want to be in the kingdom. We want all the all the power and status you we can have. And you know, we came from humble backgrounds. You know, fishermen don't get much power except the power over the fish. And so the idea of having some sort of power base is very appealing. And Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, I wonder, I wonder if they really realized who the Holy Spirit is. That Luke records that they saw it at the baptism of Jesus, and it was, uh, in a bo- in the, he was in the bodily form of a dove. But Jesus in the, in the synagogue, as we said, saw his house this morning, uh, said, but the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I 
wonder how they understood who the Holy Spirit is. And he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all of the earth. But something was going on as he said this. Something was going on as he said this, because basically he was saying goodbye. my presence but right now right now i'm going verse 9 says and when he had said these things as they were looking on he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight i don't know how that happened that is miraculous i don't understand these happened you know how does a bodily fall suddenly I only believe it because I believe the resurrection of Christ. I don't understand how the resurrection took place. I only believe in the resurrection because there are witnesses who saw the resurrection. I only believe in the ascension because there are people who said, I saw what happened. Luke records what's happened. Whether he was actually there on that mountainside, I don't think we know. But he certainly has recorded it. And he's been told about it. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And as they were gazing into heaven, as he went, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And here's the message the disciples were given. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's difficult. You wonder... What feelings those gents had as, as Jesus went. As the disciples talked with Jesus, did they pick up even a glimpse that Israel was not going to be restored in the way they thought? Did they even think that Israel, uh, that it was over for the nation of Israel? You know, these words are so easy to understand from our perspective, hindsight. But if you put yourself into the position of that disciple, I, I, I don't think he had a clue what was going on. Even if he knew the scriptures of the Old Testament, I don't think he would have had a clue and must have been incredibly perplexed. You know, if you ever think you're perplexed when you read scripture about, I don't understand it, put yourself in, in the place of some of the Bible writers, Bible personalities, and the issues they had to face. Because they've been with Jesus. They had this sort of human hope that he's going to set up an an earthly kingdom. And then he leaves them and says, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come again. Well, it was from the perspective of the the disciple, was he going to come again three hours later, a week, a year, three years later? How does this work at that point in time on that mountainside? It must have been so confusing for them. And they're dealing with confusion in the context of trauma, life and death issues, and, well, a resurrection. I wonder as they saw Jesus go, did they genuinely ask, did they pinch themselves, has this all been a dream? Is, is this real? And perhaps this morning, for the rest of our time, we need to try and work out what it means by Jesus going into heaven. 
Remember that it was, I've just said, it was over for Israel. Over big time for Israel. Israel had lost sight of its responsibilities to serve as the people of God. Israel did not represent God in their holy mission. They failed him. When God wanted them to be his chosen people and share with the people out, out in the community and in the nations what the character of God is like, they said, well, actually, we're not sure we enjoy uh, portraying what the character of God is like. We actually like what we see amongst the heathen nations. So let's go marry. Let's go enjoy. Let's go feast over there. And God says, well, actually, if you're going to represent me, there needs to be some sort of clear, clear-cut path. Clear-cut path between who I am and my ways and their ways. Because a holy God cannot connect with sin in that sense. And so they robbed God of the service he required of them, and they robbed their men of the religious guidance and example they needed. So this morning, this same Jesus has gone to heaven. What does, it, what does that mean? Well, let's imagine for a few moments what it must have been like when Jesus returned to heaven. The hymns have tried to describe him, crowned him in the many crowns. It's like a homecoming. It's like when the hero of the town or the city returns home. It's like, if you like to use an analogy of football, it's when the team have won the FA Cup and the team arrive home and the crowd's just absolutely thrilled by what took place. There are a few people in here who are hoping that in a few weeks' time their favourite team will return to their city and say, we won the Cup and that we are the heroes, we've achieved and get on the bus and go through the city and crowds will honour and adore them and say, you are great, you are the champions. Jesus rises to heaven. And there is the greatest thrilling and exciting fanfare and celebration that's ever taken place in the history of the universe except for one occasion that's coming up soon. Jesus returns home. The Son of God returns to heaven. And the angels sing and praise and shout and dance and, 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 and they welcome Jesus home. He's done it. He stayed faithful to God. The risk that they took sending one member of the Godhead down to this earth has worked. Jesus went down to this earth. He stayed faithful. He lived amongst men. He became flesh and blood to save the universe, to show what God is like. Died. He rose again. And now he's back home, and there is a fantastic celebration, and hundreds of thousands of angels are praising the name of Jesus. There's much beautiful music, and they say, Jesus, welcome home. And there's a great celebration, and crowning him with many crowns takes place in heaven that day. And Jesus is with the Father once again in the throne room. He ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, as we shall note in just a few minutes. There's Jesus up there. And as I've said just a few minutes ago, I think if Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus ascended to heaven was because if he had stayed on this earth in person, the good news about Christianity would not have spread as effectively as it has through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is in his, in his throne room. And the text which, which uh, I 
I identify with it most closely on this. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. If you want to know what Jesus is doing up in heaven right now, that the story of the ascended Father, go to Hebrews, where it says so clearly, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Since then, Jesus has gone from Jesus, Son of God, who came to this earth, to Jesus, who is now the great high priest, and has the, has the authority to be our great high priest because of what he did on earth. The ascension this morning, friends, is one of the most critical stories in Scripture. If you like, the, the problem we seem to have in the Christian church is that, you know, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, well, you know, that's the big story. But it's only part of the big story. You know, the, the ascension is not some little minor epilogue afterwards. This is at the heart of what is happening now in, in your life and mine through the power and presence of Jesus. So Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15, Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, you know that phrase, passed through the heavens, essentially ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's the story of Jesus who was down on this earth who took on flesh and blood. But one who in every respect, every respect, has been tempted as we are. Someone who walked in our moccasins, and yet, without sin. The invitation that Paul, the writer of Hebrews, gives to us. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, And we will not spend much time on this today, but as you and I know, right now there is a, there is a phase of Jesus' ministry where God the Father and God the Son are saying, Fred, Bill, Mary, Harry, whoever it is, are they my friend? It's judgment time. Does Harry or Bill or Mary want to be in the kingdom? And God says, well, you know, as I understand God and Mary, God, as I understand Mary, Mary is, is sinful. And Jesus, and, and, and really, you know, she's in a stead sin, and I can't, I can't, I can't connect with sin. But Jesus said, I went down to, to this earth to die for Mary, that she may be in the kingdom. And I kept, uh, God, you know that I went down in order to save Mary and restore her. And as she trusts me, and as, it, and as Bill trusts me, they want to be in your kingdom, and they want to be restored, Lord. That's what my journey to planet Earth was all about. That's why I took on flesh and blood, so that I could rescue people who were lost. People you created for. Do not get the idea from that for one second, for one second, that Jesus is on our side and God is not. That is a, that, that is a distortion of reality. We're trying to portray um, a dynamic at work here, a spiritual dynamic at work, and, and, and we need to be very careful, very careful as we portray this dynamic, that we don't portray Jesus as our friend, and God is not, because Jesus and God are one. I'm simply trying to suggest the conversation that they have, because if God was not on our side, we'd have no right to go confidently towards him, to the throne of grace. We'd have no 
we'd have no right to expect his mercy. God is so merciful that he sent a part of his self, a part of his son, a part of himself to, to go down and come to this earth and, and, and rescue us. So, there's Jesus up in heaven, uh, connecting with God on our behalf. Now, in the meantime, back on planet Earth, he leaves the Holy Spirit. I am going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the very real and personal presence of the Godhead on, on this earth with us since Jesus left at his ascension. And, he's, and he has been with us for the last 2,000 years. You have, we saw him miraculously act in the book of Acts in the, in the time of the early Christian church when he spoke through those disciples on the day of Pentecost, 9 a.m., these disciples, in, uh, men who have not, not great speech, were able to give powerful sermons, and many people came and followed as a result. They were able to heal, and they were able to teach in the name of Jesus. They were rescued and saved in the name of Jesus. And one, another story about the, the Romans were that their political system often saved the skin of the from the Jewish authorities. It was the Romans who seemed to be more merciful to, to Christianity and the Christian message going forward and the first apostles than the Jews. And we need to be thankful for that. However, the balance is that in the end the Romans also contributed in persecuting Christians. I don't know about you, but we also have as Christians, as people who are spirit-filled Christians, we also ask the questions I mentioned earlier. Dear God, when will you return? Some of us have had enough of all the trouble, the trials, and problems that we have to face on a daily basis. Some of us find it difficult to get up in the morning and keep on going. Why do I have all this bother? Why do I have this trouble? seems to me that when one problem is solved, another one arises. Life can become very, very wearisome at times. For all the joys we have, for all the fun we have, for all the, all, all the, all the prosperity we have, we have, there's always something there ready to give us a good, good kicking and say, no, you're not going to enjoy life at its best. And I don't know about you, but it's something that the Spirit does when you get to age 53 and a bit, all right? when you recognize that, when you begin to recognize your own mortality, is that all the things of this world that you could possibly aim for, however good they are, when it comes down to it, we need a solution. We need a solution. We need a very big solution to the problems that this world faces and that we face as individuals. And so this morning, we need to take a few moments... We need to take a few moments to look at Thessalonians. Because if Jesus went away, is he really going to come back? Do you and I have the, the right or the authority to trust that promise that he is going to come back? You see, the evidence for the statement that Jesus is coming back has to be 
is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. When the, trump, when the command is given, when the archangel's voice is heard, when God's trumpet sounds, then the Lord himself will descend from heaven. John 14 said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Not only as he went away will he return, but as he went up, he will come back. So just as Jesus went away, it must be personal. This same Jesus who went away will come back. It will be visible. As you have seen him go with clouds, he will come back in clouds. And we trust that it will be certain because it's his word that says it's certain. About dates and times, my friends, first, Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, there is no need to write to you because you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. We've got to appreciate Luke's honesty here. You know, Luke, Luke's, Luke is not afraid to share people's doubts and concerns. Lord, when are you going to return? When will you come back? And it's, and it's an honest question we also have. And it's not so much, when, Lord, are you going to come back? Ultimately, we tend to frame the question around the other way. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, can this continue? How long will you allow How long will people keep on getting tumors and tumors and tumors that they can't deal with that seem to take over their body rather than they have control of it? Are you really in control, Lord? It is classic for Seventh-day Adventist Christians to keep our hope to look at prophecy and say, Jesus is coming again soon. Here is a signpost, here is another signpost, here is another signpost, and here is another signpost. And that is very helpful. That is very helpful for people who live in trouble and difficult times and who live at the time of the end. And that's a very, very helpful thing to, to know, if you like. People who know what's going on. That's an incredible blessing because they've got context. When you know what's going on, that's good news. But there is also a danger in that, that you and I can become obsessed or so focused on each little sign and symbol and significance, right, that you lose the big picture in the end. That you hang on to every event and every sign and say, that's it, time's up, we're out of here. And the Adventist community have a history of, of, of that. Whether it was the Adventist community before Christ came, before the first thing Christ, the Adventist community, the Jews at that time, or whether it's the Adventist community, uh, 2000 plus AD, we can still fall into the same trap. Sign after sign after sign after sign, and then you miss the big picture. And I need to ask you, what is your response this morning? What is your response to the fact that Jesus is right at the heart of God. He's there with us. He is there right at the heart of God. That's the first blessing. The second blessing is Jesus is here with you and me, not just here between 11 and 12, between 12 and 12 on a Sabbath morning. He's here with us in our lives every single day. You know, 19th century spirituality, the big of this, right? There's a song in the hymn book called Moment by Moment. Jesus is with us or something. You know, I imagine that 
21st century people. You may think, yeah, 19th century, 19th century intense spirituality, moment by moment. I can't identify with that. How, 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 how is that real? The author of scripture says it is not I who lives, Paul, but it is Christ who lives in me. If Christ lives in me, there are not moments when I don't exist. I only exist moment by moment, every single moment. And so the, the, the hope of the Christian is, yes, Jesus is coming again soon. Until he comes, I have the power and presence of Jesus in me through his Holy Spirit, through the friendship of his Holy Spirit, to keep going. Now, Pastor Curtis, we need a sermon sometime, sometime in the future, about who the Holy Spirit is, if we've not already looked at that. We need to look at it again. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is his role and function? Because the, Holy, is the idea that the Holy Spirit is simply interested in performing great signs and wonders and miracles is, 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 is a complete and utter distortion of what his role is. His, his role, amongst other things, is to guide, is to correct, is to help, is to advise. Imagine, imagine, don't imagine that it's your it's reality in your life. You have a personal counsellor there to help you every day of the week, every moment of the day. And I wonder, I just wonder, I'm not disencounselled, right? I'm not disencounselled. But I wonder, one true counsellor, the mighty counsellor, the Prince of Peace, who is on our side and helping us on a daily basis. If you want to know what God is like and how helpful and supportive he is, here is the Holy Spirit in which we You know, before I close today, there's one thing I want to say about being a Christian on the journey. Distrust, distrust, your feelings and emotions. Your feelings and emotions, my feelings and emotions are, can, can often, well, I'm going to speak for me, can often delude, delude my real self. Who am I? What am I? Sometimes I feel blue, sometimes I feel high. If Pastor, Pastor Curtis says something nice about me, I go on a great high. You know? And I know that's genuine. But it can also be delusory. You know, we all like to be affirmed. But you know, our feelings and emotions, we have to keep them in check. When you're feeling really, really low, this, the Word of God says, you're valuable, you're worthy. When you're feeling really, really high, this Word says, you are nothing but for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like that counseling that the Holy Spirit gives me, big time. And so as I wait for Jesus to come, because he will come back, as he said. He, he is in the presence of God right now. Uh, fighting, that's not the right word. Pleading with God on my 